Hello and welcome into this edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from the Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. First up, it's Rashawn Copeland of I'm So Blessed Daily and Without Walls Ministries. He relates how God has intervened in his life and how he now helps others to move toward the Lord no matter what their circumstances. Also, there's insight into the foundation of our nation and its consistency with biblical principles from Richard Lee of There's Hope America, who encourages Christians to be influential in leading our nation back to the Lord. And on this edition of The Intersection, you'll be hearing from two guests who are involved in new film projects. Matt Chastain is a filmmaker who has been ministered to in small group ministry in his local church, and he set out to make a movie to capture that experience. You'll find out about that release and how the story is told. Also, Richard Cutting tells about his film, which explores a relationship between a young man and a young lady. She becomes pregnant and the two families disagree on whether or not the child's life should be taken in abortion. Some comments about the plot and message are ahead. Finally, some commentary surrounding the death of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg and the importance of the nomination of her replacement from Richard Land of Southern Evangelical Seminary from a conversation that took place shortly before the president's announcement of his intended nominee. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Rashawn Copeland is a writer and podcast host, the founder of I'm So Blessed Daily and Without Walls Ministries, and author of the book entitled Start Where You Are, How God Meets You in Your Mess, Loves You Through It, and Leads You Out of It. He speaks from personal experience, having built a life that did not satisfy, but who responded to God's call to come to him. Here now from a recent Meeting House conversation is Rashawn Copeland. First and foremost, I would definitely say, I don't deserve to be where I am now. Like God is so gracious. He's so good. He's so loving uh, to have brought me to where I am now, you know, because a lot of my life consisted of, you know, me running off, uh, doing my own thing, living for myself. And I had a hedonist style lifestyle, you know, where it was all about, you know, living my dream and satisfying my own passions. But by the grace of God, he met me at my lowest and darkest moment, you know, where I needed him the most. And uh, to take you back to the moment where I met Christ, it was in my home in LA uh, when I was literally, I would say, climbing the ladder of success out there. I was chasing fame and money and fortune. I was a hype man for a guy named Soldier Boy, who is a really well-known uh, rap artist. And I spent time uh, doing that with him, but also was doing things out there as far as, um, you know, in the modeling world, trying to do whatever I could to sort of climb that ladder. But at my lowest and darkest moment when I was suicidal one night, I had the beautiful home. I had the G-Wagon outside, but I was utterly empty um, and nothing was sufficient for me. Uh, and I remember, you know, going into the room one night and I grabbed a pistol and I was walking down the hall and I got on my knees and I was literally going to take my life. So I'm shaking and um, I set the gun down, and I pick it back up, and I put it in my mouth, and I'm shaking. And I remember out of nowhere, you know, my phone lights up. And this is why I get so excited about ministries like yours, brother, uh, that invest is digitally. You know, out of nowhere, the only Christian girl that I knew had uh, reached out to me in my darkest moment. And, you know, as I picked up that phone and set down the gun, I pressed the button and it was that familiar blue icon, which is Facebook. 
and that, that young lady was speaking in my darkest hour, but she said this, but God was speaking through her, but it, it said this, it said, oh, how wide, how deep, how vast the love of God is and nothing in all creation can separate us from this love that's mm. found in Christ Jesus. And as I was reading and reading, I began weeping and re weeping. I cried out to the God of the universe for the first time ever. And God used that young lady uh, to hit me, you know, with the word from God where I needed it most, uh, right where I was. He met me there. And that's my message. I want people to know that God meets us where we are, even before we expect them to. And, and I want to let anyone know who may be a skeptic far from God, uh, that he's longing for you. You're not too broken to be fixed. You're not too dirty to be cleansed. You're not too unworthy to be loved. Uh, he's searching and seeking mm. and, and pursuing you, uh, even if you don't want him to. <laughs> wow. And that is so powerful because you talk about the road to success and you were chasing fame. You were chasing, I guess, to a, a certain extent, a sense of belonging, a sense of validation, and all yeah. of this that you were running after and pursuing it didn't make you happy on the inside. It did not give you the peace yeah. and the satisfaction. Only Jesus wow. can do that. And what you were saying just now about how God was pursuing you, that that's yeah. powerful to think of. Yeah, so true. And I, I'm so grateful that like God uses our brokenness. Like brokenness is the place where uh, God stops us. He halts us. Uh, he causes us to hit a dead end, right? Mm -hmm. Because if we keep going past that dead end, it's going to be destructive for us. But he reminds us that all we have, all that we are, all that is in and of ourselves is completely insufficient apart from him. So I'm so grateful that it took me hitting that place where like I was deprived, I was bankrupt, I was nothing hmm. apart from Christ. And that's when the fullness came, the satisfaction. Everything I've been looking for and longing for was in him. And therefore, yeah, it alleviated all the chaos and brought me peace that transcends all understanding that night. Rashawn Copeland here on The Intersection. You can learn more by going to the website startwhereyouarebook.com. Next up on this edition of The Intersection podcast, it's Richard Lee. He is the founding pastor of First Redeemer Church in the Atlanta area and president of There's Hope America. In our conversation, he offered insight related to his book, The Battle for the Soul of America, and how Christians can win it. Here now from that conversation is Richard Lee. Thomas Jefferson said this. He said, for a country to be, to think it can be ignorant and free is thinking something that never was and never will be. And the reason Christians have that attitude today, unlike the Christians that in the past, the reason they have it today is because they're going to Churches that will not preach or teach the truth, not only about the Word of God, but also about our involvement in this world. Jesus said this. He said, occupy till I come. Now, you need to occupy. What does it mean to occupy? It means to fill a void, to fill a place. What is that place? It's in society. It's not in the church. It's in society. And as we look back in, in the political involvement in the, in the Bible, we see Abraham, Joseph, Daniel, Elijah, David, just going down uh, all through in my mind, the various people who were, who were not only political, they were part of the political process. Some Christians will quote this. They come along and like when I debate them, and they give this little uh, uh, saying, they say, the Lord said, 
that's why he said it. But, uh, you know, render unto Caesar what's Caesar, God's what is God's. And that gives us a separation. Uh, no. He said, render to Caesar what is Caesar and God's which is God's. But it didn't say render unto Caesar what is God's. Meaning that there is a, a separation between church and state, but it is that the state cannot touch the church. Uh, this whole idea of separation of church and state, uh, I'm reminded of, of the Chief Justice uh, William Rehnquist, who said that's a fallacy, it's not, never occurred, and it didn't. It was a letter after Thomas Jefferson left the presidency, he wrote the Danbury Baptist Association. And I write about all of this in my in my book, in the, the Battle for the Soul of America, uh, how the liberals have used that. But a Christian who is not involved in the culture and standing for truth in the culture and, and standing against the forces of evil that would overtake this culture is advocating uh, their Christianity and is really hiding in the closet. After every perversion in the world has come out, the Church of Jesus Christ has gone in that same closet and closed the door. So it's time Christians stood up and to be the righteous who are as bold as the line as the Bible proclaims. Your first chapter is entitled Our American Culture, and it asks this question. What does God expect from us? How can we effectively be engaged from the standpoint of doing God's will as it relates to matters of, as one might say, politics or the crafting of policy and being civically minded and involved? We are to stand for those things that that we know in the Word of God that uh, God, God's Word stands for and that Christ would stand for. For example, uh, look at the Ten Commandments. Uh, let's let's go to Thou shalt not murder. Well, innocent babies are being murdered every day in my community and your community and all the communities in this nation. We have a party that's a socialist democratic party that is trying to be elected into the White House. What will they do? Well, they will triple Planned Parenthood. It is the greatest uh, organization for the murder of innocents people in the world has ever been. We look at Adolf Hitler and we shake our head and say, oh, how could those Germans do that? Allow that to go on to kill six million Jews. And yet we've killed almost 70 million babies who are the most innocent. That's a good example. We get out and we stand against it in every form and every way. And those who would go and vote locally or nationally or any other way and put their monies behind, stand behind people that uh, would cause more innocent babies to die, will one day stand before God in judgment with the blood of those babies dripping from their hands. I wouldn't want to do that. But we know, according to the Scriptures, all of us will give an account to God for everything. So how can we be in? What does God expect? God expects us, first of all, to know His Word, to know the principles of His Word, to know the truth of his word, and to get out in society and stand for it so that we might be, how can I say, those who are uh, the salt and light that he asks us to be. Richard Lee here on The Intersection. You can find out more by visiting the website, there'shope.org. 
This is the Weekly Intersection Podcast, a production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by going to the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection Podcast. The podcast can be found in the Media Center. It's also available through iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content, including recently added content from the Christian Product Expo Fall 2020 show in Wilmington, Delaware. You can also find content from the Meeting House program through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Learn more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. The writer and director of the film Small Group, the movie, Matt Chastain, visited with me recently on the Meeting House program. He is also an actor in the film. In our conversation, he discussed the inspiration for the film, which involves his own personal experience in a church small group, and talked about how the story is told. Here now from that conversation is Matt Chastain. I had two kind of bold ideas. One is I I want this movie to be more of a discovery, right? The question I wanted to answer is, does Christian culture accurately reflect Christ? Right. I want to find that out. And in order to do that, I've got to bring somebody in from the outside. And I decided to make this non-Christian the protagonist, which is I don't think you're going to find that done very often. And his goal definitely is objective uh, objectivity. R. Scott Cooper is the character's name. And he's a documentary filmmaker. He's a director. And yeah, so he's been hired to make this movie about the dwindling influence of Christianity in America. And he's he's uh, brought to Athens from L.A. where he brings his family uh, across the country to make this movie. And he does have this producer who. um you know, I, I think at first he he he's excited about the opportunity. Then the producer kind of weirds him out a little bit, and the produ- and he just he he decides not not going to do it, not going to do it. And the producer talks him back in. No, 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 no. It's okay. It's okay. Well, this is we you can be objective. Uh, you're you're going to go undercover to find the truth because these people will 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 they'll show you their truth if you're undercover and if you know let let the chips fall where they may. So he does. He and his wife uh, they they join the church or go start going to a local church, and he he realizes very quickly that he's not going to get very far in big church, right? And that's kind of our, our opportunity in the movie to kind of poke fun at ourselves a little bit because to the outside, uh, I think Christian culture can look a little weird, a little funny. If you come to church and see people raising their hands and you're not used to that and, you know, singing a song with the, where the chorus repeats 72 times, those kind of things are going to feel a little weird to you. And so we, get a, we have a good time uh, with some self-deprecation there and some humor there. But um, what, what he ends up doing is his, his uh, field producer, who was a missionary's kid, she said, look, we need to get you into a small group. That's how you're going to pull back the curtain. And so he does. They, uh, they join a local small group at the church. And uh, again, his, his, his goal is to be objective about the people and objective about the content, so to speak. He wants to give Christianity a fair shake and Christians a fair shake. And so he does. And um, you know, the whole movie is about his discovery of them and, and, and of, uh, of Christianity in general. And they go through a lot. Um, they, you know, we, we see their meetings, we see them hanging out um, as, as, as men, hanging out as women. We, they actually take a, a mission trip to Guatemala City. We actually shot it for five days in the most dangerous neighborhood in Central America with no security, by the way. Long story there. Oh, boy. Um, in Guatemala, Guatemala City. 
which was an amazing experience where he goes and kind of really gets to see, I, I think really it's an eye-opening experience for him, so to speak. So, you know, as his relationship grows with the group, his producer is, is not happy with the outcome. And so he, the producer exposes the infiltration and we're kind of left now to see, you know, how is the small group going to handle it? How are they perceived? Are they going to be able to be perceived as, um, you know, imperfect Christians truly trying to uh, love God with all their heart, mind, and soul and love neighbors as themselves, well, actually love their enemy at that point, right? Because they've been deceived. So it's, it's an interesting thing, man. It's a, it's a, it's a fun experience. The, the movie is, it's an interesting thing because it doesn't fit into to a particular genre. And then the marketing people hate that because it's much harder to, to describe. But yeah, the first two acts really are comedy. It's comedy. It becomes, it starts off almost slapstick comedy, then kind of buddy comedy adventurous. And then it takes a, sh uh, a shift in the third act and, and becomes, uh, I, I believe our actors pulled off drama just as well as any, any movie you're going to see. So uh, it, it, it really runs the, the emotional gamut. And that's kind of the point uh, my whole point in making it is because that's, that's what you do in small group. You're you, one week, you're, you know, cracking jokes in the middle of small group meetings and the next week you know you're dealing with it with uh you know death of somebody's grandma and so i i wanted the movie to accurately reflect that experience um and i think it really does and the movie it really is a lot about perception and i think a lot of christians I, i've i've had this conversation with a lot of my fellow christians who will say who, who will kind of push back on that and say oh, it's, it's not our job to go to the you know to adapt our culture to the world we were we should be in the world not of the world and and that is not false that's true but it is important that we we take stock of how we're seen even if those perceptions are misconceptions right because everybody viewing somebody for the first time who's outside of their culture is going to have some kind of stereotypical misconceptions and that can turn you off right and i i think I think just our ability to make fun of those stereotypical, um, and I don't even think all of them in small group are about Christians, are misconceptions. Sometimes they're pretty accurate. But if we're willing to, to kind of make fun of ourselves about that, not take ourselves so seriously, um, and just be willing to, to, to be the most real version of ourselves uh, around nonbelievers. And I, I think that is, is the biggest thing is that, you know, we do owe them, I think, the best version of ourselves because – it is, it's up to us. Matt Chastain here on The Intersection. You can learn more by visiting the website smallgroupmovie.com. Another filmmaker is next. His name is Richard Cutting, co-writer and producer of, as well as actor in the movie The Order of Rights. He discussed the inspiration for the film and the storyline, which involves a relationship between teenagers that leads to pregnancy and results in a court case. Here now from that conversation is Richard Cutting. Well, you know, we wanted to tell sort of an everyman story, if you will. Um, we have a, a young girl in high school who meets a young boy. Uh, she comes from a more secular environment, you know, uh, and um, he is more of a sort of classic Christian family orientation. And um, they meet. Um, you know, things happen and uh, then the, the pregnancy occurs and the worldviews collide. Uh, and but it's told from a very personal level. She she, uh, you know, the tremendous struggle of a young woman who has a pregnancy that uh, occurs without any you know real context in terms of, of having it 
come through a marriage and, and planned as people do in quotes normal uh, life uh, and and then what to do what to do and um, she and her family are considering an abortion um, strongly considering it and um, the, the, the the young man comes with another opinion and says well that violates my Christian ethics and the way I was brought up and you know we have a real conflict here and and um, we take these young people through the arc of decision making and the, the very, very stressful environment that's generated by uh, this decision, because now there is the life of a child uh, on the line. And that moves along uh, to the point where it, it goes hot, if you will, in, in terms of becoming a court case where she is you know, leaning towards the abortion option and, and he is adamant and his family is adamant that this is a, a life that cannot be terminated, you know, and, and so it goes to a court case. And as you mentioned, this has been really, Richard, something for you that has been a learning experience as you did your research, as you talked to doctors, as you began to immerse yourself in this issue surrounding life. So for the person that might view this film that might not either might not consider himself or herself pro-life or perhaps considers themselves as pro-life but may not have as strong a conviction as you developed, what would be the message for people in, as we might say, those categories? Yes, and thank you for that question, because that really is the heart of the matter, Bob. What, what, what we really wanted to show was across the kitchen table, when this happens in your life, in your family, to a friend, you go through such a set of emotional stressors. Your, your faith is tested. Your family relationships are tested. Your friendships are tested. Your local community affiliations are tested. This is a profound thing that happens. And we have the ultimate respect for particularly teenagers in, in this position who are in a state of development already. You know, they're not adults. They don't have a lot of life experience. And, and our heart went out to these, to these uh, young people, and we hoped that we could show authentically the stress that they're under, the tremendous emotional uh, upheaval, and that there is a way. There is a way to look forward. There is a way to think about these issues. There is a right moral thing to do. It's not an easy thing to do. You know, we, we, we would never position it as that. And we took it through how this thing could go national and put you under additional stress that the moral decision is, is incredibly important to make as soon as you can make it. And that we are really talking to people who haven't focused on this issue. And we hope that through the arc of the story, they see how complex it is, but that it never leaves a moral center. That at some point, like the decision to go fight for your country or do other things that have real life effects, if you make the moral and I would say faith-based decision, there is hope because God always gives us, he fits the back to the burden. He is always there for us, 100%, never makes a mistake. And that the sooner you get to the moral choice, 
and that is very involved in the emotional choice, that there can be uh, a positive outcome. There, there is always hope. Richard Cutting here on The Intersection. You can learn more about the movie by going to orderofrightsmovie.com. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection, it's Richard Land, president of Southern Evangelical Seminary in Charlotte, North Carolina. He provided analysis regarding the life and impact of the late U.S. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg and discussed the potential nomination of the next justice to fill her seat. Here now, prior to the nomination of Amy Coney Barrett to fill the seat occupied by Justice Ginsburg is Richard Land. You have those that are saying, well, it's 2020. The, the same scenario that was, was unfolding then should be the scenario now, i.e., the winner of the election should get to pick the Supreme Court justice. So what are your responses to that? Well, my response is that it's not the same situation. Um, you had, in President Obama, a lame duck president who was going to be leaving office in eight months. Uh, you have, in President Trump, a, a, a president who's running for re-election, and uh, right now, it's too close to call in the polls, so he may very well win re-election. And secondly, um, you had the Senate in control of the opposition party to the president. Um, in this case, you have a Senate that is in the same party with the president. And this president ran in 2016. One of his chief planks was, I'm going to appoint conservative, strict constructionist judges. And they gained control of the Senate um, and, and, and they lengthened their control. They got more control of the Senate. They gained seats as a result of the senators campaigning on the same thing. So they are fulfilling a campaign promise in going ahead and, and um, putting a, another conservative justice on the Supreme Court. Therefore, if they didn't do it, uh, they would be seen as going back on their campaign promises. And historically, so it's more, it's more yeah. disanalogous than it's analogous. And and also to take us through as we continue to build that narrative here, with respect to previous election years where you've had vacancies on the Supreme Court, what are what are the scenarios that have have been in place then? Well, in the vast majority of the cases, when the party of the president and the party of the Senate are the same, they passed. I think it's seventeen out of nineteen. Um, and there was no hesitancy about going forward with nominations in the, in the last year of a presidency. Uh, and, and, and this is the last year of a first-term presidency. Take us through how you see that it's important for, for Christians to really be concerned about the type of justice that is appointed to the Supreme Court. Well, if we have liberal justices who believe that the Constitution is a living document and can be reinterpreted um, as per the times, you end up with decisions like the Roe v. Wade decision, which is a horrible decision. Um, they, they, they discovered a penumbra uh, surrounding the Constitution, uh, an invisible penumbra that allowed them to um, overturn all of the laws restricting abortion in the United States and to declare uh, abortion on demand with Roe v. Wade. Um, uh, you get the same thing with the marriage decision. As, as um, Chief Justice Roberts said in his dissenting opinion, this decision today legalizing same-sex marriage has nothing to do with the Constitution. It has only to do with six or five, with five unelected lawyers deciding to impose their definition of marriage on the rest of the country. That's what happens when you get 
not strict constructionist original intent jurists. And that's not the role the Supreme Court was intended to play. They're not supposed to be our judicial masters uh, completely rearranging the laws under which we live. The laws will be passed by the people's elected representatives, and they are to be interpreted as to whether they're in line with the Constitution by the Supreme Court. They are there, as John Roberts said so wonderfully in his confirmation hearing, Chuck Schumer being his usual egregious self, was saying, I just want to know one thing, Judge. Are you going to be for the big guy or the little guy? And Judge, and Judge Roberts, now Chief Justice Roberts, said, Senator, my client will be the Constitution. If the Constitution says the big guy should win, the big guy's going to win. If the Constitution says the little guy should win, the little guy's going to win. Richard Land here on The Intersection. The seminary website is ses.edu. We are nearing the conclusion of this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Again, the website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can reach the homepage through faithradio.org. Go to the programming section. You'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on The Intersection Podcast. The podcast can be found in the Media Center. There is a link from the Meeting House homepage. You can also find the podcast through iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page, and there's a link to video content. Again, the website address is meetinghouseonline.info or go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for another edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.